Stay tuned because you're right in line with what we're going to talk about this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Good segue. Here's your. Uh... <laughs> that being that being said. <laughs> that being said, I think we all know people who are clearly filled with the Holy Spirit who do not speak in tongues. So to have that be the only sign of baptism in the Holy Spirit, I think, is, you know, is not helpful. Okay. But it also, as you'll see this afternoon, it is an important aspect. Okay. So Father Peter talks about this a lot. Any other thoughts or questions? Well, that's, that's one of the places I got the idea because I read his PhD dissertation, not this time, but the time before, and uh, and uh, boy, those people really, really were pursuing God in a way that I I wasn't. Mm-hmm. 
about, yeah. about yeah. not just thoughts, but activities. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Okay. Thank you. All right, well, that actually was a very good introduction, so we'll dive right in. The Holy Spirit and Reconciliation. This talk I have written out, um, unlike the talk this morning, which was mostly an outline, so uh, I'll try to stick to it. In 2018, we had a series of circle preaching retreats here at Christ the Reconciled. Any of y'all remember that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. The purpose was to think about together, meditate essentially as a community on the question, what would it mean to live out John 17? Do y'all remember that? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> we had a number of retreats that went through John 13, 14, 15, and 16. And after those retreats, Amy and I went on a personal retreat. And one of the things we did was we looked through all the notes from the different retreats because we took pretty comprehensive notes from all the different circle preaching. And we worked, we wanted to distill what is God saying to Christ the Reconciler through this meditation on the Upper Room Discourse. And we ended up with seven statements. Here's the extra credit bonus question. Does anybody remember even one of those seven statements that we distilled and emailed out? If you don't, it's fine. I was just, what, I'm just curious. Don't feel bad. <laughs> it is forming us as a community. It doesn't have to be remembered. Yeah, John. Were there pronunciations? No, they weren't okay. pronunciations. We came to that uh, later. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to focus on the seventh of the seven statements, which was, and this actually came from my dad preaching. The Holy Spirit is the key to everything. You remember that? No? You were reading through and, and kind of how the disciples were bumbling and fumbling and trying to keep up with Jesus. And Jesus kept saying, just wait till the Holy Spirit. You know, he's going to lead you into all truth. And you said this phrase, the Holy Spirit is the key to everything. And really, as we went through our notes, that really stuck with us. Okay. That's good. It is good. Good preaching, Dad. <laughs> Which is also good, because if you don't really remember it, maybe that was the Spirit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So this is drawn from Jesus' words in John 13 through 16. His disciples recorded him making the remarkable statement that Amy mentioned. It is better for you if I go, because if I go, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. That's a remarkable, you know. Most people, if you ask them, what would be better than being face-to-face with Jesus? Like, what could be better than that? And Jesus said, here's something that's better. So the purpose of today, this afternoon's talk, is to begin to address the question, if the Holy Spirit is the key to everything, is the Holy Spirit the key to reconciliation? So this is an important question for us, because we're a community called to reconciliation and unity in the body of Christ. There are many more aspects to the role of the Holy Spirit in reconciliation and unity than we can cover this afternoon. Kind of like I said at the beginning. We're not going to be able to talk about everything that we could talk about in this vast and important topic. But I put together some 
juicy quotations on this topic, various aspects of this topic. So before we dive into the main part of the talk, let's go through and read the quotations and get a sense of what some really well-respected thinkers have said about this idea of the Holy Spirit and reconciliation. Okay? So what we'll do is we'll start with... Can you read the screen, Melissa? Mm -hmm. Okay. Start with you. We'll go around one at a time with uh, these quotations. Can you read that? Is it too small? Dialogue is not simply an exchange of ideas. In some way, it is an exchange of gifts. This is a really important, from, I think it's from Unum Sen, is that right? Really important statement that's often quoted by people who are working in this field because, what's that? Uh, is it going to be picked up, what she said, is it going to be picked up on the recording? Um, you need to repeat it. That's a good question. From Pope John Paul II, dialogue is not simply an exchange of ideas. In some way, it is an exchange of gifts. This was really groundbreaking in the whole approach from the Catholic side to reconciliation. And that can, you know, they would say ecumenical work. Because it means that no longer are we only working on theological statements that we can both agree on, which are important, but there's some way in which each of the streams, Protestant, Catholic, Messianic, Jewish, Orthodox, has gifts that can be given to and need to be received by the other. Does that make sense? Yes. Now where do gifts come from? First, gifts come from the Holy Spirit. Yes. So these gifts have been placed in the various streams by the Holy Spirit yeah. for the benefit of the whole body. First Corinthians 12 is a perfect exposition of all this, right? The gifts are given for the benefit of the body of Christ. So the Holy Spirit isn't directly mentioned here, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is very much in this important statement. All right. Next one, and I'll ask you to stand up and say it loud so that the recording can grab it, because I think if I were to repeat them all, we'd be here all afternoon. Go ahead, Angelina. Um. Intercession is not an escape from reality. Our communication with God must be rooted in the truth, the eternal truth of his holy standard and the awful truth about our society as God sees it. The intercessor experiences, uh, experiences the broken heart of God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The intercessor also identifies with the sin of the people because the intercessor has personally contributed to God's grief. Wow. This is by John Dawson, who of course is an evangelical and reads Wyway. So this is speaking about entering into repentance through the Holy Spirit. And of course, Jesus himself, in the Upper Room Discourse, named as one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, conviction. Mm -hmm. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is he convicts. It's a beautiful ministry <laughs> of the Holy Spirit. All right. A long one. Sandy and his father Peter. Perfect. <laughs> Larger text. In 2014, Pope Francis goes further, introducing the role of the Holy Spirit. In Evangelii Gaudium, he wrote, If we really believe in the abundantly free working of the Holy Spirit, 
we can learn so much from one another. It is not just about being better informed about others, but rather about reaping what the Holy Spirit has sown in them, which is also meant to be a gift for us. It would not be fanciful, fanciful to see this phrase, phase? Phrase. Phrase. <laughs> <Right. Behind my laughs> glasses. To see this phrase as a fruit of Cardinal Bergoglio's experience of praying each month with five Pentecostal pastors from Buenos Aires. We can see here that the phrase reaping what the Holy Spirit has sown can apply both to classical ecumenism referring primarily to theological reaping and to charismatic ecumenism, where there is an element of receiving spiritually from the Pentecostals. Father Peter Hawking. Thank you. So I don't know if all of y'all are aware, but as a cardinal, as Father Peter references here, in Buenos Aires, Pope Francis now, Cardinal Bergoglio then, prayed monthly with five Pentecostal pastors for 13 years, every month. In fact, they prayed for him right before he left for Rome, when he was elected. All right, Marty. In my experience, being ecumenical means to be alert to the presence of God and the action of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other Christians and members of other living faiths. Okay. Both as individuals and as a community of believers, we are constantly required, uh, excuse me, we all constantly require repentance and reform, encouraged and led by the Holy Spirit. With respect to 2017, Catholics and Lutherans should renew their effort with gratitude for what has already been accomplished with patience and perseverance, since the road may be longer than expected, with eagerness that does not allow for being satisfied with the present situation, with love for one another even in times of disagreement and conflict, with faith in the Holy Spirit, with hope that the Spirit will fulfill Jesus' prayer to the Father, and with earnest prayer that this may happen, from conflict to communion. So this was the document that was jointly formed by the German Lutheran and German Catholic churches in Germany in preparation for 2017, mm -hmm. the 500th anniversary. So that's a beautiful statement. Mm -hmm. The next is also uh, uh, from a document jointly formed by Catholics and Lutherans. May This was the statement in 1999, signed in Ottmarin, near Augsburg, that resolved theologically the questions that Luther had brought forth in the Reformation, which is an amazing thing. It happened in our lifetime. All right, Basileus Link. Perfect, Lynn. 
repentance, the way home to the Father's heart and to overflowing joy. For what is repentance but the tailwind driving us into the open arms of the Father? A foretaste of heaven, a gift of the Holy Spirit. In answer to prayer, the Spirit falls afresh on us, breaking our hard and self-righteous hearts. Only for God, our Father and Maker, to take those broken pieces into His hands and form a new vessel for His glory. Nobody says it better than her. <laughs> so she, of course, is a Lutheran nun from uh, Darmstadt. She was. Yeah. He was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Church of Christ, John Michael. The help of the Holy Spirit is needed to grant knowledge, wisdom, perspective, humility, and love, all of which are necessary if Christians are to be one. Dr. Keith D. Stockton? Mm -hmm. He's from here in Austin. Really? Yep. The Austin Theological Institute? Seminary? Seminary. What's seminary. The name? seminary. Yeah. yeah. John Hildegard von Bingen. Holy Spirit, the life that gives yeah, the life that gives life. You are the anointment that heals our wounds. Hildegard von Bingen. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Germans in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm going to call on Dad to read this one instead of you, Michael, because okay. Dad knows Oz Guinness. The story <laughs> of Christian Reformation, Revival, and Renaissance understand, underscores that the darkest hour is often just before the dawn. So we should always be people of hope and prayer, not gloom and defeatism. God, the Holy Spirit, can turn the situation around in five minutes. Amen. And I was given this as an Anglican who was involved in the Greek. All right. So, that was just a sampling of different ways to think about the work of the Holy Spirit in the activity of reconciliation and unity. And there are a lot of different facets that were exposed in that actually fairly short survey. All of which would be worthy of diving into and exploring in much more depth. But we're going to go a different direction. These are all topics worthy of consideration in due time. But I would like in the short time we have to go right to the heart of the matter. Perhaps the most helpful description of reconciliation in the third arena is Ephesians chapter 2. Now, second bonus extra credit question. <laughs> Anybody can tell me what I meant when I said third arena? Arenas of reconciliation. God and man, men and woman, brother, brother. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> Power up! <laughs> <Or> something! <laughs> So this comes from our teaching, the Foundations of Reconciliation, back in 2015, 2016? I can't remember. 2016, I think. And this is very much a foundational teaching for us at Christ the Reconciled. Um, and we identified then three arenas of reconciliation by looking at every place in the New Testament where the word reconciliation appears. 
and saying, what is it speaking about? So the first arena is the reconciliation between God and man. Okay, Ephesians 5. I plead with you, be reconciled to God. That's the foundation. I mean, nothing else happens until you're reconciled with God. Second is the relationship between man and woman, husband and wife. The third is what we call brother to brother, which means person to person, not boy to boy, obviously, but just you and me to each other. So there's these three arenas of reconciliation highlighted in the New Testament, and I believe in the Bible, man to God, husband and wife, and then us to each other. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So when I say the third arena, it's a shortcut way to say the realm of person to person, group to group, reconciliation. So let me repeat the statement I just made and hopefully it'll make more sense. Hope, perhaps the most helpful description of reconciliation in the third arena is in in Ephesians chapter 2. This passage is clearly about reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles. And it does not start well for us Gentiles. Michael, since we skipped you. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Pretty dark. So for this conversation, it would be really helpful if one of our Messianic Jewish friends were with us. But they're not. I want to ask you a question. Trying to put yourself back in the place of the Jewish believers right after Jesus' resurrection and the Pentecost. How do you think Gentiles appear to those Jews? If you were to approach an early follower of Jesus and ask, what do you think about unity with the Gentiles? What do you think they would have said? In your mind, consider how this compares to some of the prominent divisions of our day. Catholic, Protestant. Black, white. Boomer, millennial. Republican, Democrat. These are all things that are in the news, right? How do you think these compare to the way Jews thought of Gentiles back in Jesus' day? Is that a bigger division? Smaller? More or less hopeless? Hopeful? Just a few thoughts. I mean, we can't can't answer this because we aren't Jews from back there, but just some thoughts. In Father Peter's writing, I believe that he has written that the one division commanded by God, the only one that you can find is that the Jews were commanded not to have table fellowship with Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I believe that's right. Interesting. Diane, did you have? Wait, what were you saying about table fellowship and not to eat with? I'm not saying that they were commanded not to be friends with them, but they were commanded not to keep a distance from them in the sense that they couldn't sit down and eat mm-hmm. food because the food that they were eating was unclean. Mm-hmm. There was some, anyway, what Father Peter was trying to say, that there was some division between the, the Jewish people and Gentiles that was commanded by God. Right. So that when it was 
began to be changed in the New Testament time, it was a huge, it was a huge obstacle to overcome. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little different. Yeah, it's more like because it's like there was a commandment, like not to marry and to, um, but it was also to welcome the stranger in your midst. There was so there was a there was some provision, but it, but it's different than like black and white and. Democrat and you know like though those are not those are just things that we've imposed on ourselves there was some so in that way it's different mm-hmm. and I feel like in some ways it would have been larger because they felt like in some ways that they were obeying God you know yeah. I mean there's people that feel like they're maybe obeying God in some twisted way that but now that have these divisions that you mm-hmm. were talking about afterwards but you know but yeah so yeah these are really good but there was always points. provision in God's heart and in the scriptures to see how and Rahab, you know, all the ones that were in the line of, you know, Rahab and, and you know, Ruth that were part of, you know, Bathsheba. the lineage of Jesus and who else? Bathsheba. And Bathsheba. Yeah. You know, yeah. you gotta go. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So one of the things that marks our current divisions is contempt. You have contempt mm-hmm. for each other. Do you think Jews have contempt for Gentiles? Some did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they were told when they went into the Promised Land to totally kill every inhabitant of the cities, and not only the, mm-hmm. the that, but the livestock and everything. So they they were taught that by God, mm-hmm. by Moses, right. on behalf of God. Yep. But what about later, after that had ended, and after the exiles, and then they're brought back, and then this time of it, quiet, it never and was then back done. to the... It was never done. Late. It was done a few times, but not many times. And remember, they're living in the context of Roman occupation. Right. How did they feel about the Romans, mm-hmm. right? So all these are things to think about as we approach these passages to help us understand that the we're not the only ones that have faced uh, divisions yeah. that God wanted to bring healing to. Well, the, so the Psalms often speak of uh, forgive us uh, I mean uh, what shall I say uh, people that hate us mm-hmm. and cause. the Romans hated the Jews because the, the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Romans. And so, you know, it's, it's put in the literature of the Bible very much. Yeah. I mean, this phrase, without hope and without God in the world, that's pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Paul describes how reconciliation between these two, Jew and Gentile, is possible in Christ. Jillian, did you read that? <clears throat> but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. So when it says you who are far away, that's code for Gentiles. Yeah. You who were near, that's code for the Jewish people. Isn't that beautiful? The the description of how Jesus came and took these two, as you mentioned, Sandy, actually a a division that was commanded by God and said, okay, through Christ, I'm going to undo this commanded division and bring, make one new humanity out of the two. That's why this is such an important passage for us. Because it's about Jews and Gentiles, which is significant and not to be disregarded, but it's also these, the principles here are the same principles that work in these other realms of reconciliation that we want to be involved in. Can I just say something, Thomas? Yeah. About this passage, because it can be read in such a way that these two separate, disparate people become one. They make a new thing that's a amorphous sort of blend of the two, Mm -hmm. rather than two distinct, and in some way, the distinction remains mm-hmm. they become one new man made of two distinct beings. So when when the first idea is put forward or carried, then then all distinctions become an enemy of God. Everybody just needs to look like one thing. Right. So that makes Unif- uniformity. Yeah, that yeah. that makes the distinctions carried by the tre- and the treasures of the different denominations kind of feel like they need to disappear. And that's, in a way, what has informed non-denominational Christianity. Free churches are free from that kind of thing. But when, when, when we're doing the book study with, with Gino on Mark Kinzer's book, this idea of one new man made of two that retain the distinctions, a Gentile distinction and a Jewish distinction, is at the heart right. of what he's trying to put forward. And what Gino is really wrestling with. So it's, I I know this scripture very well, both before I had a sense about the importance of the Jewish people to the whole Gentile world and after. And it's easy to read that meaning one big conglomerate. Mm -hmm. And what's happened in church history is that the (coughs) conglomerate are Gentiles, and the Jews just need to fold into whatever Gentile grouping they want to. So I just want to say right. that that's good, very that's good. It's not point. really what Ephesians is speaking to. I don't think. So it's very similar to the idea in right at the beginning of Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife, and be joined to her, the two shall become one flesh. Does that mean they're merged together and become weird? No, they're still a man and a woman, but there's something about their relationship that is that is a unity. So you don't lose the distinctiveness, but you do have a unity. Okay. Uh, asking a question that may help clarify. When you're saying that God commands um, division between Jew and Gentile, you're not saying that God commands contempt. Correct. Right. But Correct. distinction, and I think that this, this helps get at the idea of the man and woman um, analogy is helpful that God can command a distinction for his purpose, and that does not um, that does not interfere, but actually in some ways enables this unity to happen. And what you're saying, Hogan, leads to our fundamental epiphany in that Foundation of Reconciliation course. We had always, if you had asked us before that, 
What is, what is the problem that reconciliation addresses? We would have said division. What we found in studying the places that reconciliation is used in the New Testament, and this is a great example, is the problem is hostility. It's the dividing wall of hostility. He put to death their hostility. So God didn't command the hostility. He commanded the distinction. But we, human beings, turn that into hostility toward one another. Into contempt. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anger and murder. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so our definition of reconciliation is, from that same teaching, uh, Diane, you read that? Reconciliation is a series of actions that removes hostility in a relationship, repairs the damage it caused, and restores God-intended unity. You can see how this definition flows from that passage in Ephesians, along with others in the New Testament. Each of us needs to know this passage and this definition as we live in the spirituality that God's called us to here at CTR. And then comes the verse I actually want to highlight for today. <laughs> We're just leading up to it. Amy, I'm so glad you get to read this. Oh, that's not it. There. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So that's what Paul ends with. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit, which is very similar to the verse that Amy had at the beginning, right, from Galatians, about the spirit of sonship helping us cry Abba to our Father. You know, one, one division that we haven't addressed here is the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, the Samaritans were foreigners that were shipped into that land um, and uh, Jesus had, of course, two, two encounters with Samaritans, and particularly the one that takes place in early John uh, about the woman at the well. Uh, he talks about the Spirit. Mm-hmm. He talks about reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, he says, salvation is from the Jews, but he also says uh, that... Uh, well, it won't be important to you won't only worship on this mountain yeah. but you'll worship in spirit and in truth yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Ephesians 2 well first of all this is a beautifully Trinitarian verse like the one that Amy put earlier right? in one verse you get see all three of the persons of the Trinity it shows the centrality of Jesus it's through him we have access to the Father and it shows the important role of the Spirit is by one spirit shared between us all that we know this. Ephesians 2 is primarily a theological passage. It's describing in theological terms what God has done. But this last phrase, by one spirit, hints, and I'm convinced it's intentional, (coughs) at the actual story of Jew-Gentile reconciliation. Do you realize this story is recorded? Do you love stories of reconciliation as much as I do? My marker for this is I cry watching Home Alone. Because at the end, the father is reconciled to his son, and I just burst into tears. So if you cry at Home Alone, you know God 
<laughs> has given you a heart for reconciliation. So I love it. Let's read this story of reconciliation. So there's Bibles all around. I want you all to turn to Acts chapter 10. <coughs> this is a really fun story. Much neglected, but not enough emphasized in my opinion. We're going to read from Acts 10, pretty long, through Acts 11, 18. Okay? So now, actually this is perfect, we're back to you, Melissa. So we're just going to go around the room, one verse at a time. So when it comes to you, just whatever translation you have, just read the verse in that translation. <coughs> oh yes, you need a one word. Numbers, right? I forgot that one doesn't have numbers. We have to either. say, though, it's like we have to say George Miley style. I just love that when you always, to always say that we're going to do this George it Miley style. It is George style. Miley style, okay. Well, okay I need a Bible, too. So I can jump in. All right, so, Melissa, we don't have this on the screen, we just have it. So, how many verses? So, you read one verse, and then Angelina will read the next one, and so on around the room. Now, and Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the cohort called the Italica. So it means he's a Roman soldier and he's in charge of this one group of soldiers. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those who need and prayed to God regularly. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him to, in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying as a guest with another Simon, Tanner, whose house is down there. Lynn, verse 7. Oh. <laughs> John Michael, verse 7. We're in Acts 10. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. So when he's, sorry, so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. I'll do this next one, and then Michael, you can be after me. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. I think it was squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you are not to call for a thing. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. 
Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Peter was still thinking deeply about the vision when the Spirit said to him, Three men are here looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Go with them without any misgiving, for I myself have sent them. Then Simon Peter went down to the man and said, I am the man you seek. What is the purpose of your mission? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away to them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago at this hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, I was at prayer in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling robes stood before me and said, Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he comes will speak unto you. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But that in every nation the man who murders and does what is right is acceptable to him. For God sent the word to the children of Israel, preaching peace and tranquility by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good things and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, 
by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There you go, Amy. Yes, there <laughs> they are again. Those prophets. <laughs> While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit should have been poured out on the Gentiles also. Well, they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost just as we have? So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Let's stop here for just a second. How cool is this story? Okay, just say some things that jump out at you from what we've just read. Just the immediacy. I love all that. Like, meanwhile, Peter was, while he was contemplating, and meanwhile, Peter, just as he was speaking, the, I mean, God just like, boom, boom, boom. And he completely and orchestrated like, the whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah, right? it's yeah. so cool. So he comes and sends them off while they're traveling, just as they're approaching, is when he gives the vision to Peter. And so that when Peter's ready, as soon as they're, I mean, it just, it's, it's the whole just timing so of it is awesome. Yeah. It, it reminds me of what you said about the Holy Spirit bringing life, which can be chaotic, and then order. Mm. It's not until Acts chapter 15 where this story is actually put into order. That's correct. Oh, That's an interesting point. At this point, it's for Peter, it's such a, a shock. <laughs> it brings a chaos in the life, but to his great credit, he was in the Spirit, <laughs> fasting and praying, yeah. and listening to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he stayed a few days. After, uh -huh. which means they were just enthralled with whatever was going on. They didn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. I love um, what Hogan and I were talking about at lunch. Um, how your, your journey from Protestantism and into Catholicism to becoming a Catholic, and that that's where you encountered your first real charismatic experience of the charismatic, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, <coughs> and from my perspective, seeing Father, and that's exactly what happened here. He's like, he went to these people. But, and, and so for me, like someone like Father Peter, um, like how could I, who could, who could prevent water from baptizing them? They've received the same Holy Spirit as we have. And I'm just like, it's so clear that he has the same Holy Spirit that I know. And right. how could I enforce a division there or a restriction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Uh, I like that aspect of the story, the surprise of God. I think that that was key in, in our experience in Wittenberg is that you have people from so many different backgrounds and yet you cannot deny the Holy Spirit in them. And it's just the humility of God to give the Holy Spirit. It's, it's an incredible gift that the God would pour out his spirit in any mortal. And so to recognize that gift, it, it's, it's impossible it's impossible to recognize the Holy Spirit in another person and treat that person with contempt without having contempt for God. It's it's um, it doesn't mean you can't disagree, or doesn't mean the person is perfect, or you can't challenge, or or they can't ever sin. But to treat 
somebody who carries the Holy Spirit with contempt is a very serious thing. Good. So, as Sandy mentioned, chaos has suddenly broken in. And who does chaos threaten more than anybody? The leaders. Let's hear what happens with the leaders. Okay, we're on you, Hogan, I think. 11, 1 through 18. Now the, uh, 1 through 18? Yes. Okay. No, you'll do verse 1. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter was next visited Jerusalem, the circumcision party were full of verses, saying them, Actually went in and shared a meal with uncircumcised men. Then Simon began to recite the facts, one after another, saying, As I was praying in Joppa, I saw in a vision something like a linen cloth descending from heaven, and it was tied at its four corners, and it came even to me. I looked into it and saw four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Just to make clear, these are things that the Jewish law prevents them from eating, in case you were wondering. Go ahead, Jeff. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was pulled up to heaven again at that very moment three men stood before the house where i was having been sent to me from caesarea and the spirit told me to go with them making no distinction these six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say send to joppa and bring simon who is called Peter, who will speak words to you, by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the one spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. I love it. Okay. So, did you notice all throughout the activity of the Holy Spirit in this whole passage? So first, he gives Cornelius a vision of the angel. That's the Holy Spirit. Visions are from the Holy Spirit. Then he gives Peter the vision of the sheep. Three times he gives it. Three times. He has the voice. The, the Spirit directly tells Peter, go with these men. The Spirit falls on the Gentiles. That's a choice of the person, the Holy Spirit. To pour himself out upon these people. He astonishes the Jewish believers. The Holy Spirit likes to astonish us. He gave them the gift of tongues. That's a gift. It's a gift of the Spirit. He gave it to the Gentile believers. 
He was the sign of the readiness for baptism. Finally, he convinced by his actions the Jewish leaders that Gentiles also could follow Jesus. And here we are today. We owe our life in the Lord to this story. Just say the last one, Gentiles could follow Jesus without becoming Jews. Yes. Was the issue here? Thank you, Sam. Uh, yes, that's correct. Good point. Because Cornelius was probably as close as the Gentiles can come. Right. Kind of here, but just not having. Right. And he was respected by all the Jews. Yes. So the point of this is the Holy Spirit was doing lots of stuff. So we started with this question, is the Holy Spirit the key to reconciliation? I think it's safe to say the Holy Spirit was the key to this story of reconciliation recorded in Acts. That's pretty safe to make that statement. This reconciliation was not accomplished by skilled dialogue. It was not accomplished by theological papers. It was not accomplished by small steps taken over several decades. All of these things are good, are used by God, and the Holy Spirit works in those ways. But in this case, the Holy Spirit chose to do a remarkable foundational story of third arena reconciliation in a sovereign, surprising way. So we, as a community and individuals, should be open to the surprises of the Holy Spirit. Peter was open, wasn't he? That's one of the things we need to take from this, is we need to be open to these types of surprises. It, it's, it struck me in a new way this time that Peter is the one that's given this vision because Peter is also the one that's entrusted with the keys um, to the church. Jesus appoints Peter as the head of the church and he is the mm -hmm. one. And so, so there is dialogue. You know, he's, not acting, he's not acting in his role saying, you know, I am Peter, right. therefore this will happen. Correct. But I do think it's significant, his role as leader of the church, that this is... This is um, a story that the Spirit entrusted to the one that Jesus appointed, I think is very significant. And it's a really good point. So when he's called before the leaders, there's dialogue. He doesn't, as Amy said, just say, this is going to be the way it is. Number two, he takes witnesses. He takes those six people who were with him. So they can also back him up. Number three, he references the words of Jesus. So he does bring in a theological component at that point and says, wait a minute, Jesus said... You know, you baptize with water, but y'all will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So there are those things that come in. All right. Now, here's a second lesson. There's two lessons we learned from this. Second lesson, Michael hit it earlier. As with the Jewish believers in the story, we must pay attention to the Holy Spirit in other people. We should actively look for evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit in other believers, from other streams and denominations, from other races and cultures, from other political parties, 
from other generations, especially the ones that we might initially be suspicious of. What do we look for? Well, let's go back to Amy's teaching from 2017, which she repeated part of earlier. This is from 1 Corinthians 12. So we look for these three things. One from verse 4, one from verse 5, one from verse 6. Gifts. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts. In this case, the gift he gave was tongues. So you could look at it and say, oh, the Holy Spirit gave them that gift. I can see the Holy Spirit is active and been poured out upon them. There's other gifts, healing, faith, wisdom. There's a, many places where you can find this, lists of this. Ministries, the Greek word there is diakonia. The first word is charisma. Second is diakonia. So these are more administrative, the working to build up the body and take the, the whole body of Christ forward. Apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists. In Romans, we'll talk about gifts of administration and gifts of giving finances. These are also kind of ministries of the Holy Spirit. So you can look at someone who's in doing this sort of thing and say, okay, the Holy Spirit is active in their life. I see the activity of the Holy Spirit. This person is evangelizing. They may not be doing it the way I would. They may not be doing it, you know, exactly right, but the Holy Spirit is helping them evangelize. I would say that George Miley falls in that category. George Miley has a profound gift of teaching, and everybody who comes and George knows I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. George says openly, I don't speak in tongues. I don't really want to speak in tongues. <laughs> but the, the, the working of the Holy Spirit is, is evident in his teaching. Right. And, yeah. Then there's the effects, the energima. We get the word energy from this Greek word. So effects of the Holy Spirit. And you mentioned these things like holy laughter, weeping, resting in the Spirit. An increased heart rate, goosebumps. You know, you can sometimes feel the Holy Spirit and it has an effect on you. So you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. And once again, you might be like, that's, I'm not sure I would want to do that. But I see the Holy Spirit is touching this person. So I need to take that into account. Okay? So we want to be vigilant as a people called to the ministry of reconciliation to look for these things. So for the Jewish believers in Acts, they witnessed the gift of tongues given to the Gentiles. And they rec recognize the effect, the energy of praise. They spoke in tongues and they were praising God. So they saw these two things the Holy Spirit was doing in the Gentiles. And they said, ah, this reminds us exactly of the day of Pentecost, when we weren't expecting it, but suddenly we were speaking in tongues and we were praising God. And that was the Holy Spirit in us, so that must be the Holy Spirit in them. So it was very kind of the Holy Spirit to give the same gift and the same effect to the Gentiles that he given to the Jews. It was, like a, it was like a clue. It would have been a lot harder if they had <laughs> fallen on the ground moaning, like, whoa, what's that about? <laughs> so the Holy Spirit is very kind that way. He, he leads us in, as we need to be led. So when we see the gifts, the ministries, and the effects of the Holy Spirit in those who are different than us in various <coughs> ways, we must then consider with Peter... Who am I to think that I can stand in God's way? That's a beautiful statement that Peter makes. This should remind you of where we started in Ephesians 2. For through him, Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. 
And even farther back, the quotation from Father Tom. In my experience, being ecumenical means to be alert to the presence of God and the action of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other Christians and members of other living faiths. This also reminds me of Romans 15. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So Christ accepted me. If Christ has accepted that other person, as Amy said, who am I to show that person contempt? What's the reference you made for that? Romans 15, 6. Because you have two 18 up there. Copy, paste, error. <laughs> Romans what? We're going to get the whole scripture, and I, no, I don't even think I put the... So the whole scripture we're going to be looking at, we're going to end here in this Romans, is Romans 15, 5 through 13, I believe. Can, can, I, can we go back to the, the other quote? I just One thing I, I want to say is the Holy, the Holy Spirit will always bear witness to Christ. Yes. And so... Um, I think we have to understand a ministry of reconciliation. We are not trying to be reconciled to other faiths. Reconciliation is all about Christ. It does not mean that there can't be good people who are Muslims or who are atheists or whatever. But but as a, I, I want to make it very clear that Christ the Reconciler, our goal is not to reconcile everyone. It's the, the reconcile is, is, is in Christ. We are being reconciled in Christ. And so this is a, a ministry of Christian reconciliation. And that does not, and, 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 and in saying that, I'm not going to, to limit the possibility that the, the Holy Spirit would work in people who do not yet know Christ. And in fact, I don't think we can come to know Christ without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, but but I just want to say that this is, we are being reconciled in Christ. We are not trying to reconcile with each other apart from Christ. It is, it is in him and through him and to him. And, you know, it is. <coughs> I would, I would uh, moderate that a little bit through Sandy and say the Holy Spirit is at work in the Jewish people who wouldn't call themselves Christians. But is it, they're, is it they're in phrase, Christ also. Is it that phrase yeah. that you're reacting to, Amy, and members of other living Yes, that's the one I'm reacting to. I thought about that too, Thomas. Yeah, it does open the door. Yeah, that's true. In Father Tom's yeah. quote to, to Islam. To, yeah. I mean, my response to that would be, we do want to stay attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit and people of other faiths, both drawing them to Christ, and I believe the Holy Spirit causes people to do things that are for the glory of God. And so, you know, this Cornelius who was doing good things. But it doesn't mean, as you're saying, I think very well, that we're saying they are part of the people of God yet. Thank you. That's a good catch. Okay, so this is the full passage, Romans 15, 5, I believe, through 13. Um, and let's read it. Let's continue. Who did we stop with before? Um, Hogan, made. So if you'll just read a paragraph at a time here. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you 
in order to bring praise to God. John Michael. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praise of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you <laughs> Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is also a foundational passage of reconciliation. And it's interesting that it's also about Jews and Gentiles. This is a point Father Peter makes often. Is most of the passages about reconciliation that we're used to quoting in the New Testament have to do with Jews and Gentiles. So that reconciliation still is in progress. And that's why one of the reasons why we're involved in that. I mean, Hogan's leading the Bible study with Mark Kinzer and Dino and it's just a wonderful thing, and it's exactly in this arena. All right. We're getting to the end here. This is actually taking longer than I expected, but it's been good to hear all of our voices. So through this passage, Paul speaks of the Gentiles praising God together with the Jews. Singing is especially mentioned. Something special happens when we sing together as Catholic and Protestant, as young and old, as black and white, and Hispanic and Asian, and yes, even as Jew and Gentile. Father Peter spoke of this in a really lovely way in one of his last talks in Rome in June 2017 during the Golden Jubilee. This was taught given nine days before he died. Um, and I'm wondering, Sandy, if you would be willing to read this. Yeah. I love hearing you read Father Peter's words. This is itself significant for Christian unity. We do together what the Holy Spirit has enabled us to do, to pray with a new freedom spontaneously either in our own language or in other tongues. We share our delight to praise the Lord. We know a common joy. This is especially true when we cry, Abba, Father, when we proclaim Jesus is Lord, and we pray together for the glorious consummation. Come, Lord Jesus. So when we come together, we praise the Lord first, not first a discussion, but first praise. Because God comes first. Love of God comes first. It is an expression of the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. In this gift of praise, the gift of tongues has a special place. Praying in tongues enables us to pray beyond what we can understand. 
This is a huge asset when we are unsure how to pray. We think of that passage in Romans 8, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. First area where we don't know how to pray, Christian unity. We do not know how to move forward. We seem so small, the walls of division so big. How can we do anything to overcome the hostilities and disagreements of centuries? Well, first, we pray in the Spirit. Boy, John, you really did sag away, allowing Jesus to express his heart through our lips. To this prayer in the Spirit, singing adds a further dimension. We allow the Spirit to form our melody that will harmonize with that of all the others. Every time a gathering of Christians sing in the Spirit, we are enacting a picture of how God reconciles diversity and forms this diversity into a rich harmony. So, we are going to do this. Now, this can be awkward if you're not used to this. <laughs> so it takes practice, which is a good thing. Um, we used the John Paul second quote, exchange of gifts, earlier. We have a gift with us this afternoon. His name is Angelina. Angelina, would you come up? I'm really happy Angelina is going to be here because if you go to her community, would you say this is a good description of how yes. your community prays? <laughs> so for some of us, this is maybe completely new and awkward. For others, like Angelina, this is just normal, right? Yes. So let me ask you a couple questions about it. So did you grow up in the Ludenscheid community? No. Did you grow no. up with that sort of praise? No. So when you first came in mm -hmm. and you heard people all singing different songs at the same time, what did you think? Yeah, so... I have to say, I grew up like in a Baptist area or like Baptist church, and this was like even everything was speaking in tongues. It was even like maybe it could be from the devil. So I was like, oh my gosh, is it right? Is it not right? And then are we actually allowed to speak all at the same time and to sing? So it, you know, there was like a fight and all these questions, but I was there and they started all to speak and to sing in tongues. And what I just felt is, it was the presence of God and it was going higher and deeper and something happened what I never experienced before. It was just like I could I didn't have the words for that then, but I just felt there were higher dimensions or different dimensions there which I didn't experience before. So this is what I felt. So on the one hand my mind was like questioning, but in my heart I could feel something and like say, Oh I want two, I want to join that, it's so wonderful and so powerful. It's really like, I don't know, in heaven it must be something like this. This is what I felt. Mm. Yeah. So was there a moment when you had to take a risk and kind of open your mouth and start singing? Yes. What was that like? <laughs> um, of course, it's a... It's totally challenging because I also said I cannot sing. So this was also my mind. I'm not. I can. I'm not a singer. I'm not a musician. And then we had to sing all. So it is a huge challenge to. Okay, I just close my eyes and just start singing. And um, it was hard for me in the beginning. I had to overcome. 
but I think also I had to establish also it more and more my own life. So when I did that more, I started to sing when I was alone somehow, you know. Then I grew, I grew in that, and so then when we came together, it was more and more easy for me to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. One, one yes. more question, which is now that this is normal for you, mm -hmm. what do you think are some of the benefits you see of worshiping together in this way? <coughs> yes, so one great benefit is so when we are all singing and speaking in tongues, um, like the scripture said, our mind is not doing it, it's coming from our spirit. And worship is about, I mean, I don't do worship for the other person in the first place, but I give my love to Jesus. It means that my spirit cries out and gives my love, and I even don't have the right words to put this love and what I feel into words. But my spirit knows how to do that and so if I bring this pure love to him and then other people do it too and other people do it too there's something beautiful to be connected and be one in the spirit what we could not do if we only would all come only from our mind I mean of course the Holy Spirit can use everything but there is a specific dimension and power and also unity possible which is only possible in the spirit and through singing in tongues speaking in tongues we can enter that. Yeah. Thank you, Angelina. Does anyone have a question for Angelina? All right. So let me describe what we're going to do. Like I said, for some of you, this will be normal. For others, it will be, this is the first time I've ever thought of anything like this. And, and you're feel free to just listen. That's the way I grew up. I grew up as a child just listening mm -hmm. for years and years, and it was wonderful. If you never experienced the gift of tongues, you can always ask for it. You can also feel free not to sing in tongues, but to sing just phrases. Jesus, I love you. You're beautiful. Uh, something from scripture. All of these are wonderful things to sing out. If you don't feel like you're a good singer, like Angelina and like me, that's okay. The good news, there's... there's it's hard for Amy when everyone's singing all at the same time because she's a sensory person. It's like it's hard to take, you know, kind of find herself. I think is that a way to say it? Singing is easier, and and singing in tongues is is really the only way I can do it because I can't I can't pray when everybody is praying and I'm hearing and I'm I'm interpreting whatever. But if I'm not trying to interpret, it's easier for me. So nobody's, it helped me when I realized nobody's listening to me. Because <laughs> I think that's your self-conscious, right? Like, oh my goodness, everyone's hearing what I'm saying and it sounds really stupid. <coughs> nobody's listening. And that's actually why it's helpful also seeing loud. So that, you know, there's a good amount of volume in the room. Um, so we're going to try it. It's awkward, especially if you haven't done it before. It's, uh, Father Peter likes to say, any progress in the spirit always comes with risks. <laughs> So I just want to encourage you to join in to the extent you can, take a risk or two, but there's a beauty as Angelina was describing, and I've experienced this as well. When you begin to flow in this way, there's a beauty that comes that's really powerful and opens up new possibilities. And so I'd like us as a community to be more and more, we've already done it when Philip was leading. There was a time when we all kind of sang a new song together. So. Does that make sense? So in English or in tongues or in German? Or in Spanish? Tongues. Yeah. Yeah, any, any, anything, yeah. anything is good. Sometimes I'll even just like la, 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 la. It helps me to start like that. Just to 
get seeing something really simple. It's, you're, the, the word I would use for this is Song of Songs 214. That's what it is, 214. Mm-hmm. Song of Songs 2.14. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is lovely and your face is beautiful. So when we speak to God, he's receiving it. He's just saying, oh, so beautiful. I love it. All right, so let's stand to our feet. John's just going to play chord progression because that really helps to have something to sing. You can walk around. You can move to a different part of the room. Let's just lift up our voices. Angelina, help us by singing out as well. scripture since uh, some people might be like, what is happening? This is also from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is a beautiful instruction, and I think we just did that. That's what Paul encouraged. He also said giving thanks always. So I would love it if someone has a prayer of thanksgiving to end us with for all that God has done today. Lord, we do thank you. We are blessed. We are honored. We are privileged, Lord. Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit within us, O Lord, we thank you. We are grateful. We are honored. We are privileged to be with you. This is a space. This is a safe space for us. A place where we can honor you, worship you, give you thanks and glory for everything. For you are the King of glory. You are the King of glory, and Lord, you are ushering in through the Holy Spirit a new place and a new beginning for us as a community, Mm -hmm. as a people, as a person. And we thank you. Mm -hmm. In the name and the power of the Holy Spirit, we say amen. 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 All right. Thank you all very much. Thank Thank you for serving us, John, by playing. Yes, John. And Angelina, thank you for sharing with us. Very helpful.